Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, Happy New Year and welcome to the first official episode of 2022. I'm Patch and with me ready to take a deep dive into the meaning of life or at least attempt to is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Hey, happy to be here and I hope that I am approved to stay on and not kicked off of this podcast before it even gets a chance to happen. Well, let's hope so and if it's anything like the movie, hopefully it won't take nine days to get through this discussion. (laughs) If you don't know already, we are discussing Nine Days, a quiet film that centers around a handful of candidates looking to be given life and the man who is responsible for choosing one of them. I always feel like there should be some kind of dramatic music playing in the background when I say a synopsis like that because it sounds kind of overarching or overbearing, but it's really not. It really is. I agree. You know, it's a quiet movie, not a quiet place, but a quiet movie, a very Totally. Very different than A Quiet Place, yes. (laughs) Very different. Well, from here on out, this is, of course, our spoilery section. We're going to be talking about the movie movie in full detail. So make sure that you've seen it. It's streaming everywhere that you can stream it pretty much. And uh, give it a watch. I know that this was one that was a, I guess, a festival darling back in 2020. Uh, Aaron, you got a chance to see it last year. I just now got a chance to see it this year. We're only two days in. So it's spanning three years of, of viewing for for at least two of us. And so with that being said, we'll get right into the discussion. Well, the crux of the film really centers on the sudden death of this character, Will, uh, one of his chosen people. So Will is this caretaker, as you guys know. And he is responsible for choosing people to have life. It's almost like if you're familiar with the movie Soul, then you're good with understanding that these people come in, they interview, and they have a chance to have a life that Will is, of course, responsible for just monitoring and just seeing how things are going. And so the the big kind of push in the movie is that one of the people that he is responsible for actually dies, and her name is Amanda. and. If I'm looking at this movie, Aaron, I'm going, surely this hasn't been the first time. People die. I mean, that's what happens. Every day that we live is another step closer to death. I know that sounds morbid, but it's true. And I wonder why Amanda is so special to him, even after finding out about this apparent suicide from the note that he's shown. Why do you think that will is so maybe borderline obsessed with figuring out what went wrong with her i think that will is a lot like a parent in this movie when it comes to his relationship with amanda that's the way that i view it and so we learn pretty quickly that will has been alive and that's one of the central kind of dramatic tensions between he and some of the candidates throughout the film is really just this idea that Will used to be a person. And so it's hard to wrap your head around a lot of the things in this movie. It's one of the things I enjoy about it. And I love that you mentioned Soul because I do think that it is the live action companion piece to Soul in so many ways. But theologically speaking, this is where it gets weird because it's not 
a god figure. It is a human who, I guess, if you want to parse it out to its logical conclusion, he would have had to go through this process and been chosen for the right to live as well by someone. I, I don't know where this cycle starts. And then for some reason, he is chosen to then become an adjudicator after his life is over. I actually really wanted more about that, Patrick. I wanted to know, so I have so many questions and, and I'm not saying the movie made a mistake by not going into them because I think the movie is brilliant and beautiful and perfect as it is. It's just the kind of movie that makes me think about those things, which I really like. And so I was constantly wondering, okay, well, how did Will get this job? And how do you lose this job? And how long does it go on for? Is there a contract? What happens after it? All these questions. Anyway, so I see Will's ultimate relationship with Amanda and the reason that he's freaking out about her. And that's what we start the movie with is him watching her going to do this concert. She's, you know, this, I think she's, is she a violinist or a cellist? I, I get, I'm confused. She's Something a with a bow and strings. Okay. And, but she's really good. Right. And so there's a couple of reasons. I think one of them, one of my guesses is that Will in life never had a talent and that his talent, his strengths perhaps lie in something. They're not, I say not an artistic talent. Will's a very calm for the most part person. And one of his best traits that I see throughout the film over and over again is that he is incredibly comforting and he is very seemingly fair and pretty even keeled. He is able to go through this process. I mean, I can't even imagine the mental toll, the emotional toll that it would put on you to be making this sort of decision over and over. And so we see he has this strength in the way he's able to relate to people, especially like at the end when he's having to share last moments with folks. And so I wonder if there's something to this about maybe this person didn't have an artistic talent and he was so proud of what she had become both as a parent, both as someone who on the outside looking in just could reflect on this incredible ability she had to impact the world with her art. And of course, then becoming just desperately upset that her life is taken far too short. I think also it's just a great dramatic conceit to where you're putting an audience in a position to evaluate this as we go through this movie ourselves of what if we only had, I mean, that's what this movie is about. Patrick. This movie is a very philosophical meditative piece. In my opinion, it's not the kind of film that I think is awesome because of its plot A to B. So I should say that right up front. I don't think that it's characters are the best characters ever of the year. You know what I mean? I think that the idea and what it does for the audience is what's important. And that is, it makes me go, okay, I've got nine days to prove that I deserve to be born. What does that look like? And on the flip side, I simultaneously have nine days or less to quote, live. Whatever this existence is 
that these people are in prior to being born, which is where we get into those great soul comparisons. It's kind of like, you know, is it, it's not number nine. That's not number five. Number five is Johnny. What's yeah. uh <laughs> number seven, I think. Is it seven? <laughs> it's one number. I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, in soul, when he's like, you know, in the like in between before time and it's mm-hmm. all of the stuff that goes in that place. And so for me, it makes me think about those things. And so that's why I think it's more about that. And and it plays for a great comparison because you have Will, the central character, who's essentially sort of being put in that same position to think about well, what if did she do enough with her time and and to feel that she did it. And so he simultaneously is mourning her loss of time while being somewhat rigid about everyone else's shortened time that they're having with him before they even get a chance to be born. And it makes for a really cool experience to think about, is that fair? And again, ultimately to redirect it to ourselves and make us think, did we do the most we could have? And then I think also, like I started with was the parenting angle. I do feel that he has a, he feels like a responsible person and he in some ways has essentially born these people into the world. He has chosen who will go and who will not go. He is invested deeply in their life and he has watched them and all of these pieces of them growing up. So it's no different than you with your son or my, me with my kids and wanting the absolute best for them. And anytime someone takes their life, I've not been through this in a, in a very close relationship. I know you have, uh, at least to some extent. And I think that it has to be a period where you look into your own mirror and you wonder what you did wrong. What could I have done to make this person not want to take their life? Where, where did I mess up, mess up? Where did I not give enough attention? And I think that's where he feels like a parenting failure in a sense is he questions himself and why this was allowed to happen. Did he pick the wrong person? And I don't think he thinks he picked the wrong person. So then he starts to wonder why didn't it go better? Like if he picked the right person. And so it just really is tearing him up inside because he is so completely like connected to these choices that he makes for who he sends through. That's my long answer. <laughs> well, that's a great long answer. And I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Some of what I was picking up on with what you were saying, along with my watch of the movie was the fact that Will has been alive before. So he has a unique perspective on this. And you brought up a good point that this is not from a God perspective. This is essentially a pregame interview, a pregame um, practice round, if you want to call it like a preseason before we actually get into the, the actual life of a person. And I agree with you that it does make me wonder how did he get put in this position and is he qualified? And I would say, yes, he is qualified because of the fact that he has lived a life that he can remember. And that's some of the rules that are set up in the movie is that these candidates will go through and they will spend an X number of days up to nine living life, observing, 
And if they get picked, they will then go on to be born and live an actual life, but will not remember anything about those nine days, yet they will still be the same person. And I think that's a really interesting rule that the film sets up because it's not like you're proving yourself to be person A and then you get into your body and you're born and you live and you die and you're a completely different person. Now you can get into that whole philosophical, what about life changes? What about being influenced by other people? That, of course, is not what the movie is trying to answer or trying to explore. But the other thing is that if you do not make the cut, you're essentially cease to exist. You don't, it's not like you get a second chance. Nowhere in the movie does he say, you'll, you have a chance to do this again, or you can always come back. No. And I think that's why he, as the mediator, as the adjunct, is that what you call them? Adjunct? Yeah. He, adjunct. yes. Yeah. He gives them the opportunity to experience something that they've seen in those five, six, seven days that they're there, and he does his best to recreate it. Which, by the way, let me just say that I loved this part of the movie. I absolutely loved the recreation of the happy moments or the moment that these individuals chose and the creativity behind it. It's so phenomenal. So when you look at this and you sort of don't take it from a God perspective. I think it really adds an interesting layer of perspective to how these people are being chosen. Nowhere in the movie did I ever get a criteria for, did Kane check all the boxes? Did Emma check all the boxes? What did Mike miss? What did Maria miss? What did Alex do wrong? Questions that these guys that didn't make it are asking him. He doesn't give them an answer, and he says, you didn't do anything wrong. He just tells them, you didn't meet the qualifications. The ambiguity of that, I think, is very reflective of what it means to have a successful life. And we talked about this a little bit on our Green Knight episode, goodness versus greatness. Can we just be good? Or can we just settle for goodness? Or are we? is it good to settle for goodness? And I think that ambiguity that the film brings is so interesting because it allows us through these five people to really kind of latch on to moments where they are experiencing happiness, they're experiencing humor, anger, frustration, sadness through the lives of the people that they're watching. And really that's all he's asking them to do is just watch and make some choices here and there. Give them a scenario, what would you do? But that ambiguity I think is what fuels the whole story because when we get to the end when we look at will he did he meet criteria for being the the adjunct did he meet that criteria we don't know because we don't know what the rules are and i love hearing kane's dialogue at the beginning just tell me what to do and i'll do it what are the rules and will doesn't give it to him he just says i'm not asking him just here's a notebook so do i need to write anything down you can if you want to and oftentimes, Aaron, I think we want to have rules in place so that we can make sense of the world. I mean, that's very normal. Yes. So there's a very human quality that is present here in these preborns that we can relate to because we want to be able to understand what will it take to meet this success criteria. And in this case, what will it take to make that? 
TV with all the bars and that blackness turn into me. By not giving us that, I think the film allows us to leave that story going, there are no rules. The rules are what you make them and how you define happiness, how you define what it means to really live. And taking the small things or the big things and just appreciating them. I mean, that's essentially the tagline is what does it mean to really live? And I think you get a little sense of carpe diem in there. You get a little sense of appreciating the small things over the big things. But I think it's all wrapped up in the fact that none of those things are off the table. This movie is not saying that you need to appreciate the small things instead of the big successes. No, you can appreciate the big successes too, because at one point, he and Keo, who, by the way, is phenomenal in this, I love his character, are right, watching yeah. are watching a wedding. And even before with Amanda, they're celebrating this concert. I mean, they're getting dressed up for this concert that they're not going to be a part of, but that they're experiencing with her. That's a success. That's a win. That's big happiness right there. And at the same time, there's all these other screens that are doing little mundane things that characters like Emma are finding value in. So I, I think the movie is doing a lot with very little, you know, a two hour window and a small cast and a small set to be able to allow for us to really start having those kinds of mental dialogues with ourselves. Yeah, I agree. It, it's that's what I like about it is that it really does. It transports me into a different place in my head. Like I, I you don't, Again, you're not watching it for the what happens. The, you're not watching it for like, okay, we're here's in the first act, something happens, and then something, a new drama moment or whatever. I mean, yeah, it moves like a normal movie like that, but it's more about you're seeing yourself. So, so I was frustrated big time because I'm a rules guy. I am a organization and structure person. And so I love that you mentioned that one scene because that was a very strong emotional moment for me too is I, I felt that I was like just tell me what to do just tell me what it is that I'm being graded on how am I supposed to accomplish this if I don't know the criteria that gave me so much anxiety and so watching characters feel that anxiety was incredible and I think fair I, one of the big aspects of that for me was that how do they it's a competition okay it is a competition it is a matter of being chosen or not being chosen and so you want to be able to be you know pick you want to be picked but the thing was that they're not supposed to try and be picked it's like very strange because it's we think of it in terms often of like an athletic competition or an athletic event where you're being selected based on a talent or a skill and it's so different what was really mind blowing to me throughout this whole thing, though, was where do they get their baseline of responses from? Because until they start to watch things, until they start to see other people and see these experiences through others eyes via the TVs. And I love the production design of this movie, by the way. It's one of my favorites of the year. It's so minimal. It's so simplistic. This is how you make an indie film on a low budget and make it work. 
like the idea of using old CRT TVs and VCR tapes and a Polaroid camera. Even you mentioned like when they're doing the final last moment uh, experience that he crafts for them. It's often on this big projected wall that's just like almost like a hanging it's drape. It's sheet. Yeah. Is what it is. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not. There's nothing fancy about this at all, and I love that stripped down nature. But my point was, they're watching other people go through experiences. They don't have any themselves. So how do they have different answers? And it brought up this whole feeling in me of like, okay, are we exploring the idea that as a soul, you just have an inherent goodness or badness? Some people were like, what would you do to the guard? Well, I'd murder him, you know, or I'd, I'd hit him, I'd beat him up. And the others are like, I just try to talk him out of it. Where does that come from? If they haven't, and the big question was for, for me was, how do you have the ability to answer and reason about what you would do in a given scenario if you've never had any experience whatsoever in your entire, you haven't lived, so you have no quote experience to draw from. Because our reasoning and our logic and our decision-making is all a result of us processing things we know and things that have happened to us previously. So I know that if I speed, that it is against the law and therefore there is a risk of being, you know, put into these set of consequences for doing this thing. I also know that there is an inherent risk, but I didn't, I wasn't born knowing that. I was told that, I was taught that. So how would I be able to give appropriate reasonable answers to this, to these questions and scenarios, if I don't have those experiences yet, right? And that was fascinating to me because they all were very different. And it really made me think that, okay, maybe that's what the movie is kind of using as its, I don't want to say theology, but it's psychology or whatever you want to say, but it, it's proposing the idea that we are born with a set of generic a baseline of responses like this is kind of how you are going to go if that does that make sense like that did yeah, you yeah. pick up on any of that because that was I what did. was blowing my mind the whole time i'm watching this movie well it didn't bother me because i didn't find it in conflict not just, bother just no, no, like question right well when we start the movie i believe it was maria there he's taking her through he's taking all of them through the house to get them used to to everything and if you look at each person's response what we see is there is an understanding there is a baseline sense of what it means to be knowledgeable not about book smarts or even street smarts as i say that i kind of want to take that back but there's this idea of curiosity that seems in conflict with what we're we're looking at here so our understanding of birth and not having any idea of our world. We all come from a mother and the thing we need is a blanket and milk. Those are the things that we need. And those are the two basic necessities that are being given to us is nourishment and shelter. 
every baby needs that. I don't know of any baby that comes out and says, give me a cookie or a baby that comes out and says, I think therefore I am. We're not looking at Descartes here as a two second old, but there is an interesting philosophy or theology that's being set up. And I think it muddies the waters for me a little bit is what I'm getting at because as he's taking them through the house, Maria specifically stands out because he shows her the shower and she turns the water on and she's just fascinated by this thing called the shower. I had little mermaid flashbacks of like, what is this? Oh, it's a spoon, you know, those types of things. And but then you have someone like Alex who is getting fascinated with that's a great kitchen you've got here. I love the color. Who makes comments about that? Who's like a minute old and he there were these great little story beats that happened for comic relief. He especially, he is looking at this little doily thing on the table. I think it's like a salt shaker, puts it down. And as he's sitting down, Will says, let me show you the other rooms. And he like stops and gets back up and says, oh, I guess we're not stopping here. But the comments that each one of these characters are making about their surroundings allows us to realize that some are aware of these things, some aren't. And the film never explains that. It didn't bother me. I didn't take into account that that's a a rule break or you don't establish that. I think for me, watching it, I went on the assumption not that they lived, but that they do have a baseline sense of purpose or a baseline sense of understanding. And that really dictates how each of them respond to what they see on television or how they respond to the individual questions. And I think it's more about a human response as opposed to a sci-fi, you're just born, how do you know this? And I think that's where the film is really leaning into. It's that we have the sense of these adults who are dressed in clothes, know how to walk, they know how to talk, they know how to interact. We go off the assumption that there is a base there and that in this preborn world, that's the rule. They just come in, not with a knowledge of what it means to really live. That's their commonality. None of them know what it means to really live. They know how to observe. They know how to ask questions. And I think for Will, he is that person that helps navigate them and allows them the ability to take notes and observe. Like I think at this point, they don't have the ability to interact. At no point do I see anyone throw them like maria never hugs will voluntarily and alex never throws a fist at him it's him that initiates that and so i think watching them go through this i was willing to kind of put aside the why do they all know these things or why does emma know about this but mike doesn't or how do they have this pre-knowledge i think it's more about the fact that the film is establishing a baseline and is really leaning heavily into the idea of how do you define what it means to actually live. And ironically, it comes through observing. Because for five, six, seven days, they're not really doing anything besides observing and answering questions. And on paper, that's not living. That's college or that's high school. And watching them go through this whole process, it made me really understand that sometimes observation can lead to understanding of what it means to 
live or die or sacrifice, but it's that actual push into a life itself that allows you to fully interact with it. So for me, I didn't see an issue with that. And I, I, under, I didn't understand it, but it wasn't something that was distracting. It was interesting, but I don't know that it necessarily gave me enough to really question, hey, why do they know that? Or why don't they know that? So I was really qu- kind of immersed with the individual characters and how they were responding more than anything else. Yeah, definitely. It's really intriguing. And it just, it makes you, I think, very empathetic because you wonder where you would have fallen. And with your basic level of predisposed reasoning, like would you have answered a certain way? And I think that was another pull for me was just this idea that any of these people and the responses that they were giving to the various scenarios that was going to change if they were born. And so to some extent, Will is trying to predict what, like the best case scenario for someone who is going to go out in the world. Are we, is he actively trying to populate the world with goodness, with kindness, with art, with reason? Is he trying to populate the world with a variety of these things? And if he is trying to populate the world with these things, then how do we introduce evil into the world? If we're trying to cut out the quote evil or the harshness in this pre-phase, right? Interview phase, then how does it still slip through? And if it still slips through, if it doesn't actually manifest until later, once you've gotten to start living and you have these experiences that have changed who you maybe were on the path to become, then why does it even matter? Why do we need to have an interview process? And, and yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, it's all arbitrary anyway. It's just going to be changed as you go through the phases of your actual life. It is. And I think when you have a movie like this, it's essentially, my perception is that it's essentially separating itself from any other known ideologies of the afterlife or the forelife or the pre-life. And, and that's good. The oh, for challenge, sure. The, the challenge, though, is that there's so much familiarity from a human standpoint. And if the main crux is to push somebody into a life to, to fill in where someone's life ended, that's saying something else. Again, I don't want to get into that, and I don't think it's it's trying to do this, but why are there only a finite number of people for him? And these are these are fun intellectual questions, but they're not the questions. Well, there's more that interviewers. That was a big thing. That was a right. big shock to me is when they introduced this other person that does his job. And I was like, oh my God, universe building, there's more. <laughs> right. And watching all that, you you have to just sort of suspend your human disbelief and really kind of get into a multiverse mentality that in another world or another universe, this place exists. This is a pre-world. This is a pre-birth process. By suspending your disbelief and allowing yourself to believe that there are candidates that come in to fill in gaps of people that are no longer living, that's one rule that you are following. So at that point, everything else can kind of fall into that. And so what I was really interested in is these characters and how they responded. For instance, that first question, 
some of them you had two women and three men does sex and gender play a role here again it's not answered and i'm glad that ambiguity allows us to think mike would probably answer the same way maria would when given a certain question because he's predisposed to feel a certain way not because he's a man but because he is a candidate and so just like when you're interviewing any other person i think what will does is he takes away any kind of bias by selecting i think he started out with seven or eight at the very beginning and then there were those that were just dismissed immediately but the five that we get are really interesting Aaron. so you have mike who is timid he has this low self-worth or at least this no confidence in himself and then you have maria who starts crushing on will which i think is a really interesting thing i like that the movie doesn't go deeply into that keeps it innocent and then you have alex who i won't say i relate to in terms of like how he responds or what ends up happening to him but i relate to him in the fact that he's probably the most laissez-faire guy like he is in and he's like so you're saying that we take we can get to those nine days and if we get to those nine days, then we're good. I love the fact that he clarifies after like the, the first day. He said, so do the nine days start today or do they start yesterday? And when Will says they started yesterday, he kind of gives a little grin like, oh, good. I've already made it through. I love the fact that really what he'd love is to be able to have a beer at a barbecue. And Will gives him that. I don't know if you noticed this, but there were two times when there were beers on the table. Will's drink, the bottle cap is not off. He doesn't drink. I don't know what's up with that. I don't know if it was a production oh, error man. or I, I thought it was a production error because it didn't happen. It, it showed up at the virtual barbecue that he was at with Alex, but it happened again at the dinner with Emma and Kane. Now, he never takes a sip, but you can see clearly his bottle has the bottle cap still on it. So it makes me wonder, does he participate in the things that are available to him i don't think he does aaron because emma says she offers him have those human needs he doesn't but it's interesting because he says i can i just choose not to and she offers him the peach or the apple the fruit (laughs) she says do you do you want this and he says no i'm not hungry she said well i know but you eat even if you're not hungry and he goes yes and that whole that whole set of dialogue was just really fun so you have those three that really are i would call the sacrificial lambs i think they are part of the plot devices that show more about will's character than anything else but i think more than anything it shows will's compassion and i think that's really important to help identify his character in relationship to this job He's not someone who's looking for the best candidate in terms of who's going to be the most successful. He's looking out for the interests of those who are actually being considered. And so when he talks to Mike, one of my, my favorite moments in the movie is Mike's sitting there apparently taking notes like he's supposed to. 
but doesn't want to show Will. And Will pulls the notebook away and, and Mike's drawn this beautiful, beautiful beach in a sketch. And he says, can I keep this? And he goes, would you really want to? And he goes, yes. And all of a sudden, Mike sort of drops his guard for a couple of scenes. Mike ends up leaving and you can see him feeling just completely distraught and disappointed. And just like a dad, Will says, nothing you did made me make this decision. And that's hard to hear. It's kind of like when you're being broken up with. It's not It's not you, it's me. But I think what Will does in each of the cases with Mike, Maria, and Alex is he provides them an opportunity for not redemption, not a second chance, but a way to feel like their days there weren't wasted and that they can feel like they had one last wish, one last meal, like someone's going to be executed. And for Mike, it's that scene where he gets to walk on the beach and feel the sand. For Maria, it's that amazing bike ride with the four walls of cloth projecting a a street and a road. And Alex, in typical Alex fashion, crumbles up the paper that he writes his wish on, and then he walks away. So those three guys, for me, I think articulate responses, human responses. How do we respond when someone offers us something? How do we respond when we're angry and we we feel like we are holding this grudge? I think all three of them, Maria is kind of in the middle there. I think she feels like she wanted that second chance. She feels like that note that she gave Will was what did it. He's like, I assure you, it's not. that's not the case. And I love the fact that both Mike and Maria accepted that, that even though they felt rejected, Will's olive branch to them, who apparently, according to Keo, is the only one that does that. Nobody else does that. I think that's amazing. And I think that's a product of the fact that he has lived. Because these days that they live there are a tease, Aaron. They're an absolute tease. So why do that? Why put these candidates through this kind of experience only to have them just walk away and disappear and never exist again? And I think it's such a fantastic olive branch of of grace and love that he gives to them because it's his way of saying i care about you you were chosen even though you didn't make it you're still cared for and i want to give that to you so i thought those were those are fantastic and those characters really made those moments come alive yeah i so it's interesting that you pulled them out because when we were starting to talk about the notes for this episode and i couldn't remember three of them it made me kind of it made sense that they were the three that were not chosen. I felt like that was almost, you know, a, a sign that they didn't hold that sort of memory for me. And I'm not saying that they didn't do a thing that would have made me choose them or whatever, but just from a filmmaking perspective, you know, it definitely hones in on Kane and Emma, but those three do provide us excellent little alternative perspectives from which we would be able to relate to how we might answer these questions. And I think that's what it's all about, to be honest. I think the movie wants us to all see some of ourselves in this and see some of how we feel like we might 
answer it. So we might be wisecracking. You know what I mean? Like we might be sensitive and artistic. Um, we might be romantic and we might get a crush on our therapist, you know, like who knows how you're going to react. And so it's fascinating to be able to kind of put yourself into the shoes of one of these people. I definitely found myself relating to Kane constantly because I just felt like Kane and Emma both, which I don't know what that means, but I just know that I would have been the person to constantly question. I would have been the person to say, well, I can't answer your question unless you answer mine because I need more information and I don't want to make the wrong choice if I don't have that standard. Yeah, um, but I, I, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think what's interesting about Emma and Kane is of the five that we see on screen, those two, and this is one of the reasons I think they were chosen to be the final two were that they were the most definitive in their personalities. They were very unapologetic about the way they approached things. If you look at Mike, Maria and Alex, they mm -hmm. were negotiators. Maria let her feelings get in the way of the job at hand, and she questioned herself afterwards. And Mike was never going to be more confident in order to be able to get over that hump. Alex was completely yes. egotistical, and he feels like he can negotiate and say, wait, no, just give me one more chance. Just give me one more chance. Well, how many chances can you give a guy who's going to screw up? But when mm -hmm. you look at Emma and Kane, both of them from opposite fields, Emma from a sense of, I would say, optimism, came from a sense of pessimism, just as a character trait among many, both articulate a sense of solidarity and confidence in what they're trying to do and who they are. They never question themselves. I mean, in no way do I see Emma, when she questions uh, Will, self-questioning herself. Like, ooh, is that the wrong question? Maybe I shouldn't have asked him that. No, she's like, why don't you do that? Why don't you eat a peach? I know you say you don't need food, but you should eat because you should enjoy that. Kane's like, when he's asked, what would you do in this situation? I'd kill the guy. I'd kill the guard. Well, that's not an option. Well, I'd still kill him. And so what you have are two people that are not going to be swayed by the situation at hand. They're going to take what they see and they're going to interpret what they see in different ways. And that dinner conversation, I think, is one of the more phenomenal scenes because it really does get at these two characters and how polar opposite they are they're they're seeing the same stuff and yet oh, they're yeah. both coming away from different with different things emma sees beauty and hope and forgiveness he's optimistic and, yeah and, yeah he's very cynical yeah and so that moment afterwards where will puts them in a room and he says okay i want you guys to <laughs> each say why the other person shouldn't be chosen. When I wrote Emma down walks super up, cruel in my yeah. notes. Like I don't like that's I, I would have walked in for her. That's what else I wrote down. <laughs> Good for her. And see, and so there's and so but I know myself sometimes or other people would say, Well, there's your reason right there. She just walks away from everything. Now we never see what Kane says. I think the I don't think we ever get his response, but the fact that he stays there tells us, and the fact that she walks shows even more definitively how different they are and so was it a surprise to you that he chose kane over emma no not okay. at all I, I don't know that it was the right choice 
her the characters as we are introduced to them. I I don't think there is a right choice. That's my whole love of this movie is that it hurts me and I, it's not about picking the right choice. Just like the characters themselves want to know how to win, I as a viewer with a massive amount of empathy want them all to win. I want them all to be able to be born. I don't think we need a world that is devoid of hopeless romantics. I don't think we need a world that is devoid of very confident people or wisecracking people. I don't want a world full of cynics or just optimists. I'm neither. I'm very much a realist, so I would never get bored. You know what I mean? So I, I, but I also don't think that that's what Will's trying to do is populate the entire world. I think he's trying, I think he's trying to fill a slot. I think when I watch the way that like I, it, the movie, this is all me just, the whole movie is presupposing and guessing. But to me, when I look at it, I, I imagine that Will has a bank of these people that he's put through, that he's responsible for this section of humanity. And he lost one. And now he's got to replace that one. And it's not like he's trying to have the perfect smorgasbord of, you know, mix, but like he in the moment is evaluating based on what else he has out there and how they have fared up until the point at whatever time he's doing the next interview. And so at this point in his life, he is deeply, deeply impacted by Amanda's suicide. And I think he is trying to find the person that he feels is least likely to cut their own life short. If there's one singular guess I have, that is probably it, is that he wants someone who he doesn't have to worry about making the wrong mistake. And I can't remember, there's another character we see die. Is it one of his that gets murdered? Or was his person the murderer? I- well, no. So the scene was, um, I don't think it was one of, it may have been one of his in the past. If it's the guy who gets shot, if that's the guy you're talking about. So what yeah. What that was, that was a, that was a situational um, moment where he queued that scene up for all of his candidates and asked them, what would you do at this point? So what we don't know is, you know, at that point in the movie, we know that there's another person. There's, there's a community community of people who are like him, like Will. So my thought on that is that he either has a record of someone who has gotten shot. We don't see him die. Or he borrowed that tape from somebody else in order to help illustrate a point for his interviews. I don't think it was, it was not from his current slot of people, obviously, because he wasn't needing to fill anything beyond that one slot. But I do think, and we don't know if that person died. So obviously I think people have died on his watch. I don't think people have died the way Amanda has. So the movie tells us, at least from my perspective, that this is the first time someone has died of suicide or someone has died unexpectedly. That makes sense because I think he's trying to avoid letting them down. I I think he feels in some way that he let Amanda down by choosing her, which is deeply strange to think about the idea that like, oh, I shouldn't have let you be born because this is how your life turned out and ended in suicide. And therefore it's, a waste because yeah. it wasn't full. <laughs> but that that's that's like a similar argument that you could make for oh we found out our 
unborn baby has downs, let's kill it because it's going to have a crappy life. And I think that's right. one of the that's one of the interesting problems that you bring up. If you know or if there is a an inkling in these interviews that this person is going to have a crappy life, is it worth letting them be born knowing that they're going to have their life ended by suicide or by murder even though they might have a fulfilling life up to that point? So that's one of those questions that doesn't get answered, but I think it it raises a question like that. As this arbiter, arbiter, can't keep can't not say that word. <laughs> As a person like Will, that's a huge responsibility, and it's coupled or it's made more problematic by the fact that he has empathy for his people. It would be one thing if he had a set of criteria, and he said, "You know what." Amanda was a talented violinist, an optimist, a woman, an American. I I need those criteria. So of the 10 people that come in here, I'm going to eliminate all the men because the female is one of the highest qualities that I want here. Or I need someone who's talented. So I'm going to have these five people that are left. I'm going to, sh- I'm going to put them in a situation to show a talent of some kind. And so at that point, he would be matching up to fill in a slot. I don't think that's happening here. I think that because he has empathy for her, just like he has empathy for others, it's almost as if he's trying to protect. Because the fact is, Cain could easily be in that same situation. Somebody who's that pessimistic about the world would probably have a world come down on him so hard that he's going to take his own life. Suicide is not going to be off the table for him less than it would be for someone like Emma, who is the Pollyanna of the two. And so I think you're right in that, was his decision right? According to me, no, absolutely not. I think she, quote, deserved it because she was the most free thinking. She wasn't the rule follower. But I do think the movie shows how his affections, how his bias that he tries so hard not to show affect who he puts in the world. And and that's a that's a beautiful thing to see looking at him because he's equally a part of this story as these candidates are, as it's made known in that last scene where he is doing his theatrics and singing and tells Emma at the very end, thank you, and then walks away. So I think that kind of conflict really brought out how important it was for him to realize what it meant to live and know about those moments that matter any moment, big, small, happy, sad, those things that make him complete, even in his role. He's not living, but he's still living. I know that sounds like it, he's not wow. hes not alive, but he's living. And I think that's part of what the movie's message is, is you don't have to be alive to live. So that third act, I, I think, was... <laughs> I mean, it, it, I get, no, I, I, I got you. <laughs> I, uh, I think I agree with you. You know, I think it's a lot about the improbability and indecisive nature of life and existence. And that even if the divine is choosing who gets born and who doesn't get born, they are completely out of control, essentially, is what the movie is presupposing once that happens like will doesn't have the ability to impact amanda's life he can't help her course correct if she gets lonely and feels isolated and is going to kill herself he just has to watch and let it play out the way it was going to play out 
And so that's sort of the view that we get. And I think to some extent, obviously, I don't want to really get into a deep theological conversation about this, but there is some truth to the fact that life is not written in the sense that someone is choosing your steps, that their free will is a thing. And so you have to acknowledge that and accept the choices that get made and really to celebrate the simple things, because that's what Emma was all about. Emma is that character who is the ideal version in the most closest sense that we have in the movie of what we should do, which is look at our limited time of existence as this transient being on earth and maximize it. Focus on the details, not focus on them, but don't ignore the details. Try to form relationships, try to get to know other people. Don't make it all about you. Don't make it all about a success of a certain thing or achieving a certain thing and take in everything around you and revel in the emotion that you feel from every you know step of the way and that's what her whole you know ending is all about to me and she finds happiness in making others happy so how can you say it's not a life worth lived well lived if you do that and i love that you brought up the green knight because it does it all comes back to that i mean she is another embodiment of that question like you could switch out the word greatness for the right answers or the perfect, you know, scenario for someone who may not stray down a path that leads them to an unfulfilled life. Or you can talk about goodness, which is in the moment, just everyday nightly virtues. And that is Emma in this movie. And you're right. I love that you pointed out Will's bias and his probably not picking her out of is being incorrect. Um, if he was truly following the protocol that it seems to be established that he maybe should be because of his own grief and whatever it is that he's harboring, because we don't know, we're just told that something happened. There's some sort of tragedy in his past other than, I mean, it happened to him himself. Kayo kind of mentions it, but we don't ever get any details. And so he is an imperfect judge. So how can he render perfect judgment? It, it is a really interesting concept. And well, th- that's that's exactly right. I love the fact that this movie tells you of not up front. It tells you eventually that he is not perfect. That it initially says he's qualified because he's lived, so he understands. But that living comes with imperfection. It comes with bias. It comes with prejudice. And I think it's what makes him hard. I think it's what makes him like a difficult, like a a rigid person. And that last scene with Emma is so special because it's him. It's Will, the human who remembers his life. Not Will, the guy who is interviewing these folks to get them to be where they need to be and it's very beautiful my theory is that after this he disappears and they get somebody else because he's broken some rule 
where he's interacted or shown his humanity or shown his human self and that's that's not that's not good so in 10 days the sequel to nine days we're going to get a new person no that's not going to happen but i do think it's a beautiful way to end the movie because we we're not asking any questions about what happens to will next what we're doing is we're getting satisfaction in the fact that he has understood from emma and honestly from kane and from these other three what it means to really understand living and maybe that would make him a better person to choose right the next game. he's changed he's grown he's grown in his own way and so therefore were their lives valuable if they don't continue on but yet they did impact this person who it did change his life so therefore it did have value in some regard it's going to impact his decision making going forward it's going to impact others it's just and it's a beautiful beautiful way to depict it in that minimalistic simple way of having him recite the song of myself Walt Whitman poem it's just a beautiful rendition and i think it's really cool too because i remember when we were doing our black panther episode years ago and winston duke had first come onto the scene as M'Baku. And I remember just being absolutely in love with his character. He's such an imposing physical force, which is what I think also makes him great for this role because he feels so big and just strong. And yet he's gentle and kind and, and soft in so many ways. But his background is in theater. That was, I think Black Panther was like his movie breakout role. And since then, so he's been doing more film, but he was a theater guy who was a big time stage actor. And this felt like a showcase for a stage actor, that final scene. I mean, when he is just going for it in monologue, that's exactly how it played out to me. And I thought that that was a great use of his talents. Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask a couple of questions, sort of a, what do you think? Because this is a movie that makes us do just that. The first is regarding the olive branch that I'm I'm calling the olive branch of those that are not chosen. Will obviously gives them an opportunity to experience something that they found pleasurable from what they watched or what they observed over the course of those several days. So my question to you is, if you were not one of the ones chosen, if you were given this opportunity to experience something according to Will, as best as he could do for you, which I think is great. He's not going to recreate it uh, in its entirety. Would you want to experience a moment you observed on one of the televisions? Man, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I think go it can go either way. It really could. And I think it's really hard to answer the question as a human with X amount of experience. So I, I've, try, I've tried to like put myself in the mindset of things that I haven't experienced as if I was this new soul. Part of me believes that I would be very upset and feel very wronged. And I would walk out much like Alex or mom, Alex, I think it's Alex does. And just essentially just storm out of there into the great desert of purgatory unknown to meet my fate because I would be upset that I lost and wasn't chosen and that this was the end. In fact, it's 
they're essentially like, <laughs> we don't know how it works, but I mean, effectively, they're about to like blip out of existence completely. So I, I don't know how any of them are remotely calm in this moment. The other side of me sees that value in a calming moment. It's the idea of someone being at your bedside when you're in the hospital, holding your hand as you take your last breaths, keeping you calm and telling you it's going to be okay. And I think that I don't have a specific answer because I don't know what that would be for me, honestly, that I haven't already experienced other than to say it would for me, the thing that would bring me comfort in that moment would be being with the person I love the most. And that is somewhat unattainable for these people. So it's really interesting because they're having to choose some, uh, well, I guess for one of them, it's not because it's having beers, right? So maybe it's closer to that one where it's like, I'd want to go out like Mike with his hand on my shoulder. That, that was the most affecting scene probably in the whole movie to me. I cry. Both times I watched it, I cried at that point where you just see him lower his head and he just puts his arm around him and, and just he's like, I'm going to be with you. And then, he you know, as he fades out or whatever. So I think I would just want to be with someone that I loved. I wouldn't care about the place. I wouldn't care about the experience, the th riding down a beach or feeling a thing that I'd never felt before. I would just want to feel comfort. That's my answer. Yeah, that's a good one. And I think the desire to have somebody with you is something that a lot of people would want. Those that at least have somewhat of an optimistic viewpoint on life. For me, initially, I would say yes, just because, as I mentioned before, I think of it like a last meal. Get that thing that you have always wanted. But then I think about these candidates and how they have never experienced any of the things that they've seen on screen. It's not like I'm watching someone go swimming in the ocean. I'm like, oh man, I remember when I used to swim. No, I don't remember that because I never did that. So they're going off of what they think might actually be enjoyable. And there's a part of me that feels like it would be very difficult for me to pick something, not because there's a lot of stuff out there that looks enjoyable, but because what if I didn't like that? Like, what if I had an aversion to sand? What if, what if it was too hot? I mean, I'm, I'm being very coy about that, but I would say that sometimes one man's pleasure is another man's pain. And so when you watch people and you feel like, case in point, if somebody's like enjoying getting a tattoo, I'm like, yeah, that would be fun. I think that's a great thing. I'd love to experience getting a tattoo. And my last moments in existence are getting a needle like pushed through my arm or back or wherever. No, I don't want that. And so I think the the macro level viewpoint that I'm thinking is the fact that because I've never experienced any of those things, I think it would feel almost fake to experience them. Now, the optimist in me, especially after the way this thing is, is filmed and the way in which Will sets up both of these moments with the beach and with the bike ride, I think that 
based off of everything that he's written down, all the data that he has, he's not going to let someone be pain, be in pain. He's going to say, okay, you want to go on a bike ride? Okay, let's make sure that we're hitting all the right pleasure points, not the rocky terrain that would be in a street or people throwing fruit at you because they think you're one way or the other. Or if you're on a beach, you know, seeing somebody drown in the ocean or seeing a shark come and get you. No, he finds the best in those moments. And I think he understands that it's pleasurable for everybody or a good number of people. So I'm on the fence as well for different reasons. But I think part of me is leaning more into the I trust Will. I trust that he wants the best for me, knowing that my existence is going to cease to exist after all this. And so I'll trust him to give me what he sees as best. The second question, and I don't know that this can be answered either, but it was an interesting one that came out, is what would your criteria be for choosing someone to live? And I know that that comes with like, well, am I am I Will before the movie? Am I Will after the movie? Am I am I somebody else? Do I have I lived? Have I not? And, and and I mean, all of those things are, of course, on the table, and I'm not, I don't want us to take a terribly long time answering, but it's really more about, could you create criteria? Is there criteria for choosing to live that you could come up with? Absolutely not. I refuse to answer because I can't answer. I, I don't, I can't. I think that it's a fool's errand to believe that we have the ability to make that call. And that's why I love that i prescribe you know believe have a faith that i don't need to worry about that that's taking care of for me because there is someone that makes that choice that is not me and that has the full understanding of what it means and why because i can't comprehend the importance of and the responsibility of that decision the place that i would bring it down to the most human level if i was trying hard to get my head around making that call would be something like the scenario where it's you know i'm a life-saving profession and i have the opportunity to save one of the i'm batman and i can go and i can save rachel you know or maggie gyllenhaal uh is rachel no why am i confused or uh harvey dent there we go uh i can save rachel or harvey dent and both are worthy of being saved and I cannot pick them both. Then how do I choose? I would choose selfishly to be 100% blatantly honest. And I think that's what Will does too, but I would choose the person that I reasonably feel more value in as it relates to my self and or my worldview in that very moment of time because there is no other way and i would be torn up about it and i would hate myself for it and live with the ultimate guilt forever and ever and ever and ever but it would be selfishly driven i think very honest answer i uh, i would probably agree with a lot of what you're saying for me the the criteria would be someone who possesses the ability to see through the BS of the world, see not necessarily overly optimistic, like there's nothing wrong, but really be able to see a a sense of positivity and I would say a a, a balanced optimism. 
So being able to call people out in a way in love, but at the same time, not let that be your driving force, not let that be your MO as being like, I'm going to just be the, the pundit for all things like cancel culture, all things, whatever. I want someone that's going to provide an opportunity for people to feel like, you know what, being around that person makes me feel better, makes me a better person. And so I don't know what that would look like. I would also have someone who's into pop figures and you know other things that I'm into. So yeah, those those things that would be icing on the cake for me. Filmmakers, get some more filmmakers out there because we need some more of those and um, you know, whoever. But yeah, it, it would be difficult and I'm glad that I'm not in Will's position. Glad to be alive. And if anybody's watching me on a CRT television and videotaping me through VHS, then hopefully I'm doing something right. Whatever. <laughs> Hope I haven't let you down. Yeah, right. <laughs> if I have, sorry. <laughs> Nothing you can do about it. Pick somebody else next time. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Feeling Film. Hope you guys have enjoyed listening. As always, just continue the conversation in our Facebook group and Discord. We also, next week, are going back to the gridiron. I don't think we ever were on the gridiron. It's been a while. But we're going to the gridiron because the national championship for college football is coming up. And we are covering, yes, the movie National Champions. I'm excited to watch it for the first time, Aaron. I know you've seen it. It's a winner. I really can't disagree with much of what you say is a winner because we and I kind of share the, the same hive mind when it comes to that kind of stuff. So be looking for that to come out next week. In the meantime, just keep enjoying movies and all the conversation that comes with them. Aaron, thanks for this great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.